Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. It is a Friday night, actually, just before the uh, what might be the last game of the NBA Finals. Um, I'm doing our mailbag pod. You guys sent in a bunch of great questions, and I really appreciate it. And I'm going to get to all of them tonight and have it up for you on Saturday. Um, so this will probably end up being a longer pod, but I think we've got a lot of uh, really good questions to talk about that I'm, I'm really excited to get to. Uh, number one, uh, I am sitting here drinking Nosferatu. It's by Great Lakes Brewery. Phenomenal Imperial Red Ale. If you've never had it before, drink it. Obviously, drink it responsibly and make sure you're of age. Um, but it's a just a great fall beer. It's like the feels like the last summer day in Ohio today. It's like 80 out. It's finally starting to get cool. Um, after it was like it was like 35 this morning. I had my heat on and it was uh, you know 70 a couple hours later, which is just wild. But I. Uh, I wanted to do this last night, and I have been looking forward to getting to it all day because this is what I love doing. So I appreciate you guys who uh, who all interacted and uh, sent me some great questions. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to them. Um, so we'll probably have a couple breaks in this, but uh, we're just going to dive in and, and get started. Also, one quick piece of news right away. Jay Michael just posted on Twitter that uh, he has heard that the uh, the Pacers have had conversations with Victor Oladipo. Um, nothing... Outside of that has been said. Um, he's Yeah, this is the exact tweet. Victor Oladipo and the Pacers have talked, I'm told, a couple times recently. As for the coaching search, there's no rush to wrap it up. Could easily be a few more weeks. So, in other words, we are going to have a long couple few weeks, but um, definitely keep a lookout on, uh, on what Jay's putting out in, on the Indie Star. Um, so, all right, starting up with questions. We're going to – I have it broken down. I'm going to just answer your general questions first and then – I will talk about trade ideas uh, later on. I think it's going to be, it's probably like 60, 40 questions to trade ideas, maybe 65, 35. I can't really gauge that well. But starting off with a three-parter by KingPG21. Um, so the first question, if Miles is not traded, but Domas is, who is your ideal coach to maximize Miles as a player? That's a great question. Um, who is the ideal coach to maximize Miles as a player? Part of me thinks Mike D'Antoni, um, just because I, I think if if you were to trade Domas, and it's not just because of shooting, shooting, shooting. I mean, I think to an extent uh, it would help because I think Mike D'Antoni would tell him, you have to shoot. You know, I don't think there would be an option. There wouldn't be a bunch of other things that Miles would have to think about in the offense uh, in terms of shooting. Um, maybe you think about a guy like Chauncey Billups who could, foster relationship with him. We know that he's already got a pretty good relationship with Malcolm and, and some other guys on the team. Um, I don't know. I think it just depends. But I think largely when I look at it, the idea of if Domas is traded and Miles is clearly the five moving forward, I think that does more than any coach does. You know, I think just the idea of like part of the reason that that he has issues in my mind is because He's whenever he's playing the five, he's trying to fill what Domas is doing on offense because the Pacers couldn't run offense any other way. It felt like um, so he's always looking to do handoffs, which he's not comfortable doing. Um, and there are times when he he has an open shot and he's like, OK, well, maybe I should go for a handoff and try and get somebody a better shot. And 
I think you just see the gears turning a little bit too much when when he's out, uh, especially on the perimeter. And I think that's part of it. But um, if ideal coach, I would probably say Mike D'Antoni. Second question from King PG. If Miles is traded and they go all in on Domas, Domas, gosh, as the future big by himself, who is your ideal coach to maximize him as a player? Uh, This is another good question. If I cop out and say Mike D'Antoni again, please don't be upset. Um, just because I think there's this perception that Mike D'Antoni is a very pretty like single-minded basketball coach and it's all about spacing and stuff. And while I think that's a big part of his offense, I mean, you look at what he did with Amari Stoudemire uh, next to Steve Nash. I mean, I think when you look at the seven seconds or less Suns, I think Amari is just as big of a part of that as Steve was. Um, but, you know, not, not just as big. Steve was, you know, obviously a two-time MVP uh, you can debate some of the both of those selections actually, um, but I mean Amari was used in a lot of the same scenarios that that Domas is, you know, as kind of a high pick and roll, um, obviously a great lob threat which Domas is not, but I mean he was used in handoffs, uh, he was used as kind of just a post playmaker a little bit, not to the extent Domas is. I don't think he had the floor vision or the passing capabilities. My dog keeps like tossing something around in the background. So I'm sorry about that noise. Um, but yeah, I think I would say Mike D'Antoni again, just because he's a really good coach and he does get the most out of his players. Um, if neither is traded, who is your ideal coach to maximize those two, those two together? Oh, wow. I hope that doesn't happen. Um, and that's not to sound terrible, but I've, I've been on the record multiple times about this. I just think that there's so much showing that this team should be um, going in a different direction than trying to play both those guys together. But I think ultimately I look at Chauncey Billups, um, not just in terms of maximizing those two, but I mean in the team in general. I'm really excited by a guy like him. I think maybe I'm just a little bit too uh, um, attracted to a a shiny object that we don't know a lot about. I mean, we know a lot about him as a player. We don't know anything about Chauncey as a coach. Um, And I think part of that is intriguing. Uh, You always look at things that you don't know about and you see glimmers of something and you see potential and um, that that attracts you to it. So I think – that's what I would say. Um, MDA for both Miles and Domas and maybe Chauncey if neither move. But I'd, ultimately, I think Chauncey would be who I would uh, who I would prefer overall. Uh, just at the moment. That could change. Um, so from Spree Googs. First of all, he tells me I'm doing a killer job on the podcast and pushing, pushing stuff out. So I appreciate that, Spree. I, uh, I, sometimes I feel like I'm not putting out enough. So it's, uh, it's awesome hearing that that you, you feel like I'm almost putting out as much stuff that you, you can even go through. So thank you. I always appreciate your kind words and your questions. So here are here's the question you've been considering. With all the balls up in the air, coaching search, changing offensive and defensive systems, Miles Domas decision, Vic trade options, other trades, so basically everything going on. What's the right order for these issues to be resolved? Okay, that's a good question. I'd assume the coaching change comes first. But they're also interrelated that one domino falling affects all the others too. Do you hire a coach based on the input of Miles, Vic, and Domas? Do you hire the best coach first and let him herd decide on the players? Chronologically, how does the franchise go from today to next season? That's a great question. I think at least right now, the way that I look at it, um, you kind of have to go for a coach right away. Because especially just the way that things are set up right now, it's going to be a very quick uh very well, maybe not off season. I don't know if the off season will be quick, but free agency is going to be extremely quick. Um, the draft will obviously be coming up in November. Um, I, I think you just have to go out, find your best coach right away, and then go from there. Um, see how the coach meshes with certain players, and 
um, if that maybe changes the 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 obviously players are going to have a, an impact on on who the coach is. I think that's natural. Um, but I would just say, I mean, I think you can't really just wait around for a coach. Uh, maybe you can, but I, just in my opinion, I mean, I think of it, maybe it's wrong to think of it this way, but I think almost in, in, in like college football, like um, sometimes it's almost better to have a uh, an earlier bowl game for some teams, you know, if they're most of the time, not every team that's going to a bowl game is going to fire their coach. But I mean, you just think about it. The the way that the the coaching carousel kind of starts and, and stops the way that well, not stops the, the way that it starts and kind of winds down the way that it, the way that it does, it almost seems more sensible um, to try and just find your best best guy right away. Put all your time and energy into making that happen. Find him and and hire him or her. Um, that's my personal opinion. Uh, but obviously, I mean, I think what matters most is is just finding the right fit in terms of players um, and not for the coach. I mean, just in, based on, you said, input of Miles, Vic, and Domas, which of those three guys is going to be here next year? I think that's the most important thing. You can have the best damn coach in the world, but if you don't have players who fit together, I, I just don't see um, what we're doing here, you know? And that's not to be harsh to the front office or to, to coaching or anything um, or to players, but... I think chronologically, um, I, I laid it out in the Sabonis article a little bit, and that's not to say that my word's gospel. I just mean, um, I think, all right, where does this team want to be? They want to be a contender. What do they do to get there? They have to have the pieces that fit, I think, is number one. They have to have a coach who can get the good, uh, the, the roster that fits together to the next place, and then you go from there. Um, so I think I would, uh, yeah. So that that actually kind of counteracts what I'm saying. But you get what you get my point. I think ultimately I'm trying to say you got to get the coach, and that's just kind of ancillary to what you do later on. Because I just think right now the stuff like being able to make trades and and do things before the draft. That's not we're we're still quite a few weeks away from that happening. Um, so I think just trying to find that coach and be ready so that you can be prepared to make trades and, and, and make things happen in the off seasons the way that I look at it. Um, but, but we'll see. I think that's, that's how I look at it right now. Um, so from Dan Goy, uh, which one of these is the most probable scenario? Uh, and they're all Vic, Vic to New York, Vic plus plus Nets, Chris Paul. I'm not sure I follow. Um, oh, oh, okay. All right. I get it. Vic plus assets and that's Chris Paul. Vic to the Bucks for Bledsoe and assets. Vic goes to Boston. Vic goes to Houston. Vic stays. Vic goes somewhere else. Um, which one's the most probable? Personally, I don't. I mean, I've seen packages come out from the Knicks that I don't think are good enough. I primarily they'd be centered around R.J. Barrett. Frankly, I don't know what that does for the Pacers. I mean, having a young player is nice. Maybe you get the number eight pick. That's cool. Um, but. Ultimately, I think you get a guy who's probably a couple years away from being a high-level contributor to a team that most of their primary options are 27. You know, I mean, TJ's 27, Malcolm's gonna be 28, Domas is 24, so maybe that meshes. But I think you just have awkward timelines, um, so I don't love that. And also, I, I don't know why the Knicks would do that, but that is kind of on brand for the Knicks. So maybe um, Vic for Chris Paul. I don't know. I'm going to circle back to that one. Vic to the Bucks for Bledsoe plus picks. I think I would just say no because we know what Eric Bledsoe does. 
um, in the playoffs, and that's not to besmirch him. He's still a really good player, one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, a better perimeter defender than Vic was at his prime, I would actually say. Um, I, I just don't know what else you get from the Bucks that makes that worthwhile. Um, I don't think the Bucks would do that either. I think the, the Bucks would look to maybe sell off more in order to get something, something a little bit more proven than where Vic's at right now, uh, just considering where they're at. Vic goes to Boston. I think that's got legs. Um, we've seen a lot come out with that. I do think there's potential. Um, I think a lot just depends on how willing KP would be to send, uh, you know, assets from the Pacers in conference, which I, I you know, I've talked about people that with people and whether that should be a relevant thing, but I think it is for some people. Um, Vic goes to Houston. I don't see it personally because, uh, you know, and listening to, from everything I'm hearing around the league from from some of my connections in Houston um, and people who I know that cover the team out there, they are not super willing to move on from Robert Covington. And it looks like they're going to just try and keep going with what they have. because It's going to be extremely difficult to trade Russ. You don't want to trade James Harden. Um, so I, I don't know if they're not if they're not willing to, to kind of sell off on, on Robert Covington. I, I don't know what you can even net back from Houston. That's worthwhile. Right. Like, um I mean, one trade that I saw was the Newell House and um, I think P.J. Tucker. No, it wasn't P.J. Tucker. It was Eric Gordon. Well, Eric Gordon um, is not – I mean, I think he's better than he's shown in Houston because he's kind of outside his role. He's better as an isolation guy who can run pick and rolls. He can do stuff getting to the basket, but he's 32 years old already. He's got one of the worst deals in the NBA, uh, which I, I think the Pacers would be wrong to have on their books. Um I just don't think he makes a lot of sense, especially with the money he's got moving forward. Um, he's actually, he shot 28% on catch and shoots this year. All right. So he's a very solid off the dribble shooter, but this team needs more guys who can catch and shoot the ball. And if you have a guy shooting 28% on catch and shoot threes, and granted that was, a, I believe, close to a career low for him. Um, but still, I just, I don't, I don't think that he makes sense. The house is fine. Um, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't really weigh too much of the stuff that happened in the bubble. Um, or the, I guess the one thing that happened in the bubble. I, I don't know everything that went on there. Uh, the, it was pretty murky. But I just don't think that – I think that there's other directions to go in. Um, Vic goes somewhere else. Um, that's potential. I mean, I think I would say Vic goes to Boston is most likely. I like the idea of Vic plus something else to get Chris Paul. Um, but, again – Oh, how much does that move the needle? And is Chris Paul, you're, you're banking on a lot, but at the same time, dang, I kind of like that deal. I think um, Vic goes to Boston is probably the one that's most probable, but I wouldn't mind seeing the Pacers swing for Chris Paul. Maybe that's a bonkers thing and maybe it, it backfires, but I'd rather swing and, and potentially miss on who someone who was a top 15 player this year um, and would really help the Pacers in an area of need. They need someone who can be a high-level ball handler, high-level um, bucket creator for people, and that's Chris Paul. And that moves Malcolm off Paul. Um, I like that. I really do like that. I think it just kind of depends on what else you're moving. But I, I just don't – I don't know if that's feasible. Uh, it depends what else is offered for Chris Paul this summer too. I think he's going to be a much hotter commodity than he was last year. Next question from Yuba Yuba. I be, Yuba Baya. I can't. You, you sent me a ton of questions. So I, I will hopefully have your name down by the end. 
Um, this is pertaining to the NBA draft. How much the unique situation due to the COVID will impact player evaluation? Do you think that guys that work out worked out with the team last year, like CJ Ellaby and Lamar Stevens, could have an impact? Could have an advantage against other players? Um, that's a good question. I actually have been digging into Lamar Stevens recently and watching some of his tape. Um, I don't want to shed too much on that because I'm working on draft profiles right now, so I don't want to um, give that out. I actually. I'm going to answer a question with a question. I wonder if we will overdo player evaluation uh, because that's something that I've talked with some of my friends who do draft research um, or draft analysis, I should say. I mean, there's uh, I think there's a high possibility that maybe we're reading too much into watching college film, you know, so I'm interested to see how things work out in the draft this year. I'm not a draft aficionado, um, but I think there, there are a lot of interesting things. Um, and I think if the Pacers built a good relationship with guys like C.J. Ellaby and Lamar Stevens, maybe that could have an advantage for them. Who knows? Um, so second part of that question, with, with many rumors of possible trades involving players such as Cernan Oladipo, if such a trade happens, is it possible the Pacers get a first-round pick? Yes, most definitely. Um, which player realistically, so no Lamelo or Wiseman kind of player, do you guys like to see with Indy? Um, well, okay, let's say... All right, if Oladipo got traded to the Knicks for the eighth pick, you think of a maybe, well, obviously a wing player. You need a guy who's kind of like a 3-4, um, maybe like Devin Vassell. Um, I don't know if he's going to be there that late. I, I, I'm not super up-to-date on mock drafts or anything right now, but um, that's somebody who I, I've seen a little bit of film on, and I know my friends who are much better with the draft than I am currently um, are very high on him, and what he can do is kind of a um, – a floor raiser at the three, four as a shooter, as a defender. So I think he makes sense. Um, another question from you, Babaya. Uh, it just addressed KP. When Pritchard talked to the media about the season and firing Nate, he said something in the line of, as much as we appreciate that Nate took responsibility over what happened, I had to take responsibility. It was on my watch. With Nate now gone, if Pritchard doesn't nail the coach choice and start drafting better, Goga seems to have lots of potential, but the way they described it in the draft night could not be further from reality and Leaf is a complete bust. Can it be said that he is in a hot seat? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, I think, you know, I've said it on a couple of recent pods, and I know Tom and Caitlin have talked about it as well. Um, this is huge for Pritchard. This is his chance to really bring in and reface the organization in his, his direction. Obviously, he uh, he was the one who pushed for Nate, as told by Mark Monteith. Uh, on, uh, he, he released that, um, and I definitely believe him. Um, so, I mean, he brought in Nate, but he didn't have impacts on the rest of the hirings, as far as I know. This is him really refacing things in his direction uh, and, and how he wants things to go. So, yes, I, I totally agree. I think if he doesn't nail his choice, then – it's uh, kind of a stake in, in his claim as the GM, I mean, not GM, as the president of basketball operations in, in Indiana. As far as drafting better, it's tough. I think they definitely do have to draft better. I've spoken on this. I think they actually draft pretty decently in the second round. If you're getting guys who actually contribute to your rotation in the second round, that is solid, and the Pacers have done that. Um, I mean, not like over and over and over again, but enough where it's like, okay, we're doing something here. But I agree in the first round, specifically closer to the lottery. Um, I think the way Goga was described, I think it's tough because he he, he was late uh, getting over for training camp. And I believe he missed out on India. 
Um, so I think that definitely hurt his development. And he went from playing, um, obviously, I mean, he played high competition in the Euro League, but he went from being a really young guy there to being an extremely young guy here. Um, and I mean, like just the weaknesses and stuff in his game got more exacerbated playing in the NBA. And I think part of the issue too was him just having really inconsistent minutes in the rotation. Um, I mean, I think we started to see him become a much more willing shooter. Or, I mean, he was a willing shooter the whole year, but I think they were falling. Oh, no, I actually, I don't have stats to back that up right now. But I, I just think there were things where Gogo was starting to show more of his ability towards the end. He showed a, a guy who can, who can do some things on the perimeter, uh, has ability to be a shot blocker, and that, that can hopefully grow into better defense. But um, I get what you're saying. I agree on the draft, and I'm, ex- I'm, I'm really hopeful for the 54th pick this year, which is maybe that's more telling about me than, I, than the franchise, but I'm, I'm hopeful that something happens because I think there's a lot of interesting prospects there. Another question from you, Mubaya. As the Pacers are a small market team, player development is super important. However, I think the Pacers have been failing that aspect in the last few years. I think that our G League team is very poorly used. Gogo played a bit, had great numbers, but I don't think it really helped his development. He went back and forth from the Pacers and Madden as compared to smaller market organizations such as the Thunder and Spurs. Um, So if you guys ran the player development side of the Pacers, which changes would you make? So this is a good question. Um, I don't know. I think part of the – I don't – I wouldn't say that they use their G League team poorly. I think my issue is more in terms of how the rotation has been played. And I think that's where the issue really lies. Because, if I mean, watching Goga in the G League, and uh, I mean, he was demonstrative there. He was incredible. He was too good to play in the G League almost. Um, but he was unable to crack the rotation here. And I think part of that is on Nate. And, you know, you have to be able to, to find guys extra minutes, you know. And I think that's it's an interesting dilemma because I think it's part of what made Nate a good coach is he got, quote unquote, got as, as much as he could out of the roster. And I think a lot of that is by, um, you know, you don't play some of your younger guys more minutes to get them run and potentially lose a game instead of throwing Thad Young back in for, you know, two or three minutes. Um, it's an interesting thing. And I think we talked about that on a recent pod. I think that is what I would change. I think um, I do think they use the G League team well, um, but I think what I look at is you just need to find ways to to get guys like Edmund Sumner or um, I'm not going to say Alizé Johnson because I don't think he has a place on the NBA court a ton right now. Just just kind of a one skill guy as a rebounder, um, very good at it, but yeah, you know he needs more. Um, but yeah, I mean I think you have to find ways to to get guys small minutes like that. So I really like that question, and I think. That's that's where I look at it. You just have to find ways to get more minutes to to guys in, in, in leverage situations that can make them better. So from Class Hicks, if Oladipo wants to stay in Indiana and still be appreciated in the locker room, do you think Pacers can really trade him against his will? I mean, Pacers the Pacers worked hard through years to build an identity as a high-class organization with the players to compensate for his low market do you think it really works? What can they do to improve their appealing for top-tier free agent coaches, free agents, coaches, and players? If Dan Burke is out for the sake of the new coach, can he stay in the staff with another job? Um, so a lot of questions here. Uh, I do think the – well, okay. I mean, if Vic wants to stay and still – it's not – 
I don't think that Vic doesn't necessarily want to. Maybe he doesn't want to stay. But my read on the situation is that the Pacers are not willing to pay Vic what he thinks he's owed. Um, and I think that's not an indictment of Vic and we're an indictment of the front office. It's an impasse. The front office has seen what he's done for the last year and a half, two years and said, okay, we don't think you're worth this much money. We're not willing to pay you that much because we don't think you can produce at the high, that you haven't shown us that you can produce at that high of a level. And Victor is thinking, okay, well, I'm going to get back to that level. I'm working my ass off to get there. So I don't think it's fair that you won't pay me. And I think there's merits to both. Well, not even merits. I think there's fair arguments for both sides. Um, I do think that Vic has handled some things in poor ways, but I think if they could come to an agreement, I would rather keep Vic in Indiana if he's willing to sign maybe a smaller deal than than he's going to get, um, than he thinks he's going to get, and uh, and keep him around. I think I mean he's when he's at his best, and if he's back at his best, he's a great player. Um, I don't think you can deny that, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I don't really think that, you know, with everything that's happened in terms of him and the, the way that he's talked, well, the way that he's kind of talked through mediums um, about the organization and his want to not really come back, um, I, I don't think that's on the Pacers. Um, I don't really think that that's at all a black spot on, on how things have gone. Uh, maybe guys would be like, well, they lowballed him. But I at the same time, I think, guys look at it and know okay well this guy got injured and he didn't play well and you know a lot of that is um, that's all because of injury but still um i don't really think that that's a black spot in the organization um what can they do to improve their appealing for top tier free agents coaches and players um become a better team i mean we've seen it with some teams like um when this team flashed a ton of potential in 20 uh, was it 2011, 2012, I believe, or no, it was 2010, 2011. And then David West signed that off season because he saw the young group. Um, they made their first playoffs. And then with David, they, they did more. Um, I think maybe that that's, that's how you make, make your, you, you make your mark. And then that's how you attract. You're not going to get a top tier guy. Uh, let's just be honest. I don't think unless like the next really great player in the next couple of years is like family is from Indiana or, um, he really wants to live in Indiana. I just don't think it happens, and that's fine. That's not a mark on Indiana. It's just a lot of the times guys want to go play in coastal weather. It's a lot more convenient than playing in the Midwest, and you cannot blame them for that. Um, I think there are so many days where I have to shovel my driveway, and I'm like, wow, I'd so much rather be maybe not in Florida because there are some massive fucking spiders there, um, but California would be cool. Um, but you get my point. I, I think coaches would be willing to come here um, a lot's just on making sure that the, the roster's in an even better place. And I think that's how you get those guys. If Danburg is out for the sake of, a, of the new coach, can he stay in the staff with another job? Sure. Um, but I think from everything that Scott Agnes has put out, it seems like uh, the it's, it's not really a mutual parting of ways, at least the way that he put it. It seems more like, you know, it's just kind of time to move on. And I, I guess I get that. Dan Burke's been on the staff since I was born, uh, before I was born. So, you know, that's, that's a long time for a guy to be a, a, a coach and to, to last as many different, you know, coaching staffs as he did. It's a testament to him, but I, I don't know if he's going to be around next year. I'm hopeful, but we'll see. Um, and thank you for your questions. Um, so from SpongeBob Karate Chops, a couple here. How much do you think a 32-year-old Gallinari goes for as a free agent? 
Um, I think I lean somewhere in like the 15 to $18 million a year range. You look at like Jeremy Grant is probably going to get um, 15-ish for like a four-year deal. So like 60 in total. I think Gallinari probably gets a three-year deal. I don't think there are too many teams that are going to want to offer a 32-year-old a four-year deal, but I could be wrong. Um, but I think maybe he gets a descending contract. I don't think he's he won't crack twenty million in my opinion. But I mean, it is a it is a bad free agent class. Um, but I think I mean he'll get a, de- a decent amount. I'm interested to see if the Heat go after him again because they were uh, very close to signing him. I mean, not signing him, trading for him during the season. Um, but we'll see. Uh, next question off of that is Jaron Jackson Jr. untouchable, even coming off a major injury as a trade target. One hundred percent. I am notably a very, very high on Jaron Jackson Jr. I think he's going to be one of the very best players in the league. The answer is no. I mean, the answer is yes. He's completely untouchable. Um, if the Grizzlies traded Jaron Jackson, uh, they their entire front office should be sacked. Like there is no way to justify trading Jaron Jackson right now. And also, I don't think the Pacers have anything that could warrant him being traded for. I don't know if you meant for the Pacers or in general, but I just don't see it. Dynamic below average shooting role players on champion or conference champion level teams. with Shunis, Iguodala, Draymond Green, Butler, Bam with excellent other shooting with them though. So uh, Sumner is so dynamic in so many ways, huh? And Sumner's D-League large sample size shooting numbers suggest an average NBA three-point shooter, right? And Sumner covers up Brogdon's non-point guard defending weakness so well, so well, doesn't he? Odds Sumner starts point guard next season, all things considered. Uh, unless whoever is the other guard in the backcourt has a season-ending injury, and then Aaron Holiday has a season-ending injury, I I just don't see it. Uh, Sumner just has way too many, um, you know, barring a massive jump in the offseason. He just doesn't have the juice to be a starter right now. He, I mean, he shows flashes. I really like his defense. Um, I think he'd be better served on a team where he could get more minutes, honestly, you know, to, to boost his development. But um, I, I don't I don't think that there's any chance he starts next season. I'm sorry, SpongeBob Cry Chops. I wish it were so. Um, he should have started all of the games in the bubble. Not in the bubble, in the playoffs. But, of course, you know, that didn't happen, um, which is sad. But he, he would have done some nice things. Another question from SpongeBob Cry Shops. Do you think the Pacers during the season would ever consider uh, basically telling McDermott for a month, your job is not NBA games. Your job is to work with his trainer on defensive drills and exercises every day. Also for that month, get some good looks at some other guys in real NBA minutes that you wouldn't otherwise. Why not? He looks like such a high level shooter. Um, this is an interesting question. I like this because it's kind of a interesting way to talk about things. Again, I'm not trying to play it off like I'm an expert, but I think, you know, I, I used to, I, I've thought like this before, you know, I've, I've had similar thoughts and I think when really diving into things and trying to learn defense better, cause I think it, it took a lot more for me to learn the defensive side of the game than the offense. I'm not trying to say that you don't, but I'm just saying um, in terms of me looking at this question, I think McDermott, it's not that he doesn't play with effort. He's a high effort guy on both sides. Um, and it's not that he's terrible positionally. I mean, I think, He's fine defending straight up in the post. Um, you know, if he's not out on the perimeter, he can he can hold up a little bit one-on-one. He's not very strong, um, but he won't get killed positionally. I think the problem is just athleticism. That's what it comes that's what it comes down to. So I think there are three things uh, on defense. You have ba- basketball IQ, you have effort, 
and you have athleticism. Uh, Doug has solid basketball IQ. He's a high effort player, but he, he is not athletic. Uh, just in, in all honesty, he's at least he's not a very good lateral athlete. He doesn't have great length. So, I mean, he's not going to be a great defender. That's just, it, it is what it is. And especially considering he can't really guard fours. Um, that's why Justin Holiday was. Um, it, it's it's a tough sell for him to be a good defensive player. I don't think he's ever going to be an, a, an average defensive player, but I think he did actually make, make strides, in my opinion, on the defensive end. Not in the bubble, but I think partially because he got targeted a ton in the bubble. But um, I do think that... He's better than he gets credit for, um, but he, he's still not great. But I think part of it's just he's he kind of is what he is as a defender. Maybe he has like some godlike growth into being a basketball savant on the defense end, but I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think he's going to grow a you know a half foot in wingspan. So I, I don't think that'll ever happen. It's an interesting thought uh, exercise, but I don't think so. Um, so you know, leading into that, we're going to take. A quick break, but we'll be right back with some more questions and uh, and get get back to talking some Pacers. All right, welcome back, and now we are going to you know get back into the the latter half of the questions and then into trade proposals. Um, so I am actually sitting down drinking my morning coffee now. I got really caught up with stuff last night. I had some uh, some work pop up in the middle of the questions when I was taking the break, actually. So we are getting back at it now, and I'll, I'll have this out. Uh, as soon as I'm done, I'll, I'll, I'll get it right out. Um, so another question from Yubabaya, uh, and it's titled Lack of Draft Identity. And it's a really long question, so I'm not going to fully read it out. But um, essentially, it's about, you know, the Pacers not necessarily having a certain player that they draft for. You know, they're kind of all over the board and guys that they go after. And um, he wonders, you know, if maybe having, uh, um, you know, looking at teams that draft well, if, if they have, if you had a certain type that you went after, would that maybe make developing guys uh, easier than, than not having a type? Um, I think it's an interesting question. I think I look at things more of, uh, I mean, it's good, I guess, to have a type that you're trying to go after, but at the same time, you need varying guys on the roster. So like one specific ex- example, you had the Hawks trying to imitate the Warriors. And I, I think there's merit to that. You know, Trey being similar to Curry, Herder sort of being Clay, and then Hunter sort of being Barnes. I get that. Um, I, I, I agree with that. I think it's good to have like a plan. Um, I think it's tough because you look at the Pacers and I think they've mostly, instead of drafting for fit, which you could argue that's kind of what uh, the Hawks did, at least with DeAndre Hunter, uh, because they traded up to get him. Um, I mean, he was, I I think he's still going to be a good player, but at the same time, you could argue maybe they could have taken a guy with more upside because he's a little bit older. He's still got like lots of potential, but you get what I'm saying. Like taking a guy who's 22 years old in the draft compared to somebody who's, you know, 19 and uh, has, you know, maybe a higher ceiling, but a lower floor. I think you look at guys like TJ Leaf. I thought he was kind of a fit guy. Um, the, the Pacers really needed a four who could space the floor. Um, obviously, Thad had been brought in. He wasn't a great floor spacer when he was first brought in. He, he improved on that. He still wasn't like phenomenal at it. But uh, I mean, Leaf's archetype made sense. Didn't work out. Goga, I really think makes sense for the team still. Um I think, you know, it, at the time it didn't, it, it, it came off weird when the trade, ha- well, not the trade, when the draft pick happened, because I was very high on Brandon Clark and him as a guy for the team, especially with moving on from Thad. Um, and I think Brandon Clark would still be a very helpful guy for the team. Maybe he'll be even more helpful 
for the team and impact winning this year. But I do think, I mean, Brandon Clark was 23 when he got drafted. He's 24 now. Goga is 19, I think. Um, and Goga just has a world of potential. And we've seen flashes of it. But it's a really interesting thing to bring up. I, I really like this question because you do wonder, you know, um, when taking a pick like that, do you draft for somebody who is going to help you winning right away or somebody who's going to be part of the core later on um, with maybe more upside? I think... I don't know. Maybe that that's more telling of how the front office felt about the team last year, because I think maybe if they do really feel strongly about the team moving, moving in that, that year or the year after they do draft Brandon Clark. Um, and I, I, I think the jury's still out on that draft pick, but I do think going with Goga is fine. Um, it just, it will depend on how he pans out over the next two or three years. Um, I think Aaron Holiday made sense. Um, it, and you also brought up Alize and Sumner. I think, I mean, the fact that those guys, Sumner legitimately contributing to the rotation and Alize, like somewhat, you know, he's kind of like the odd man out, like behind Jakar. If Jakar wasn't there, maybe you'd see Alize get more minutes, but I kind of say maybe not. They'd probably pick up somebody on a vet min or something. But I mean, Alize does some nice things as a rebounder. He's kind of athletic, but his, his shot really just hasn't developed into anything. Uh, in the NBA and the G League it's there but not in the NBA so um, it's interesting I'm not really sure um, this is a great question Uh, I I think my overarching answer would be it's better to just kind of pick and choose is the wrong way to put it but like you have to try and have uh, yes a degree of what you're looking for but also you have to um, you have to draft the best players I think that you know I think if there's a guy who maybe doesn't fit as well, but he is a high quality talent like a Goga. You got to take them and just see what happens because talent, talent will beat out fit um, to an extent. And at least when you're drafting young guys, I think it makes more sense to just try and get the most talented and, and go from there. But uh, it's a really interesting question, and I think I could definitely flip on it depending on the scenario. So next question from Naptown Hoops. Uh, Shout out to Naptown Hoops. Uh, we recently connected on Twitter and um, great dude. I really enjoy his writing over at 8.9 seconds. So be sure to go check that out. And he said, if the Pacers were to get a top pick, what are your thoughts on drafting Denny Avija? I personally want him bad. Um, I think he's nice. I haven't like dove into his film a ton, but just from what I know, he's kind of a do-it-all wing who's not maybe really great at anything, but he's good at a lot of things. Um, like he's a good Good secondary passer. Uh, he can shoot, but I've seen some discrepancies. He's a poor free throw shooter. So that does bring into question how good his three-point shooting is going to be. That's normally a pretty big tell on three-point shooting, but you never know. There are some guys who are poor uh, free throw shooters that have shot the three pretty well. Bruce Bowen definitely comes to mind. I'm not saying he's going to be Bruce Bowen, but that's just an example. Um, so I'm not sure on that. I I, uh, I think, you know, I, like I said earlier, I, I like the idea of adding more versatile wing players to this team because I think moving forward, um, I really do think TJ is going to be at the four. I think Domas is going to be the, the five. And you just want, you know, I, I dove into it on that piece I did about Sabonis recently on having a bunch of big wings who are versatile, who can shoot, who can dribble, who can play make and defend and having them surround Sabonis and just trying to um have just a really, really fascinating offense with a lot of movement and uh, a lot of guys who can do a lot of things, which this sounds like super simple, but I think it, it just opens up things a lot. And then on defense, it's just, I think if you have a lot of versatile wing players, you can 
be really versatile in defense, which with Sabonis, I think that's going to be important because I don't really think there's any one scheme that you're going to be comfortable having Domas in as, as a starting five, you know? So I think, um, versatility is going to be huge for the Pacers moving forward. So I, I like the idea of getting somebody like Danny Vichy. I just don't know what you get up to get up that high. Cause I think I'm, I'm seeing him mocked at like, you know, between one and eight. I've seen him go as high as one. I don't really see him drop out of the lottery ever. So I think he'll be pretty difficult for the Pacers to get. From Billy R. Osborne, um, do you think keeping both Miles and Domas could set us up for contention in the next three years? I can't get around the fact that they are both very young. Still, Miles has plenty of time to round out his niche. This is a great question. Um, I think about this a lot, and I think I've really rounded into the idea of this team just needs to move on with Domas. Um, and well, maybe not has to. I like the idea of moving on with Miles. Maybe it just depends what you could get for either. You know, I, I think I just think there's going to be a lot more trade marketability for Miles. You know, he Domas is definitely the better player right now. But I think Miles is, you know, I've talked about his scalability before. I think he scales more easily on a championship team in terms of being a lower tier role guy. Um, so I don't know. But I mean, we saw in the bubble how good Miles was when he had a more defined role. And that was even with him still struggling on offense to an extent and doing things that he's not comfortable doing. Um, but I don't think that they're viable moving forward together. Maybe there is a coach who can make it work. But thus far, I just don't think we've seen anything that makes me think that they can work together long term. Um, I think it would be different if um, if Domas was maybe a little bit more mobile um, on the perimeter because Miles having to be out on the perimeter and guard more on the perimeter while he can do it, it takes away a lot of him protecting the rim uh, sometimes. So like it's hard to have them both be out there. And, and handle some of the cross matches that they're going to deal with. Like we saw that against Boston. Like we ended up having, you know, Domas out on the perimeter trying to guard Gordon Hayward. And, um, that's a tough sell for me and a tough sell for the Pacers on defense because it's not going to end well. Um, if you go back and watch that February game, you saw how hard that cross match was for Domas. And, um, I, so I don't know. I just, I don't see it. I think there's even more questions offensively. Um, maybe. You know, I, obviously you can say maybe a better coach can can change that up, but um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I just think that both centers are not long for the Pacers, and I, I don't think that they should be personally, but that's just me. Um, so I guess that's my answer to that. Next from Daniel Olinger. I loved Yoga Bataze as a prospect, but didn't understand the pick given the Pacers already have Turbonus. What track do you think Goga is developing on? Does the franchise see him as a valuable piece for their future? Um, so to start off right away, yes, the franchise definitely does see him as a valuable piece for the future. He was a lot near lottery pick. Um, so of course they, they value him. What track do I think he's developing on? I think he's going to be a high level player. I don't think he's going to be necessarily an all-star or anything. I think that's possible. It just depends how he develops. Um, right now, I don't love the development track that he's on. I mean, I like it, but I didn't love his minutes. I, I don't like how, you know, he had just a very inconsistent run, a very short leash with the Pacers, um, which, you know, that's part of the staple of Nate McMillan as a coach. That's not to talk down on him. It's his job to win games, and he didn't see Goga contributing to that. So I get that. But I think it's tough to be 18 or 19 years old and to have really inconsistent run to not get a lot of time in the G League and just kind of be on the bench. Um so I do like where he's headed. I think he made strides, especially in the bubble. I think the bubble was huge for him. Without the bubble, I would have had a lot more questions about him and his development track. Um, 
I spoke on this a little bit earlier in terms of, uh, you know, the Pacers already having Turbonis and, and drafting Patadze instead of someone like Brandon Clark. Um, I think it makes sense long term, even if it makes a little bit less sense in the short term. So I think overall it'll be good. Um, but we'll see. I'm not, I'm not sure. I think there's a, a place where Goga maybe plays 15 to 20 minutes next year as a backup center. And, uh, I don't know if he could play with Sabonis at all. I don't know if we want to see that happen. Um, but I, I don't know. We'll see, man. Next question from a good friend of mine, Alex Golden. If the Pacers traded for a top draft pick in this year's draft, would you be a fan of acquiring a pick, even if they had to take on a bad salary? Um, I mean, it depends what the bad salary is. Like, is it a guy who may be still useful? Like, you look at a guy like Andrew Wiggins, bad salary, still a good player, even though he's not, you know, considering what he's getting paid, it's it's difficult. Um, but I think you would be willing to do that because that's the number two pick. The number two pick is going to do something awesome. Maybe you think Andrew Wiggins, and this is, you know, obviously this sounds stupid, but me saying Andrew Wiggins, maybe he's able to develop into something. He's still only 24. Um, and I think there's still obviously a lot there. He does really nice things still. He's not great. He has some really bad tunnel vision. He does some poor things on the defensive side. But, I mean, it, it might be worth it. Uh, it's something I'm thinking more and more about. And we've talked about it, Alex. But I, I think there's a, there's something there that I would think about. Um, and you look at, like, if there's a trade with the Hawks, maybe you take back Dwayne Dedman's contract. And it's not a terrible contract, but it's a lot for a guy who would end up being a backup center. Um, but, yeah, there's there's merit there. And then second part of the question, what prospects do you think are worthy of a top pick? So top pick, I guess I would say top five. Um, he doesn't make sense for the Pacers, but on Yeka Kongwu, he's incredible. Um, his wingspan is ridiculous. And that's, you know, that's all just measurables. But like he's a really high energy, high motor guy who's always going. Um, I don't think he has a shot or anything yet, but he's a great rebounder. He's a great defender who can kind of guard all over the place. Um, so he's really good. Talked about Denny Avija earlier. Um, I like Devin Vassell. I don't know if he's quite a top pick. Um, I don't love Lamelo Ball, but that's just me. Um, I haven't watched enough of him to say that he's going to be a bad player. I think he's going to be a great player, honestly. Um, but I just don't know if he'd make a lot of sense on the Pacers. I think he needs a team with kind of more run, like you know, a team that him learning how to be a uh, a more efficient player isn't going to hurt them. I think he's going to have to go through a lot of that. I, I, he's, I don't want to say he's a project, but there's a lot for him to work on um, in terms of becoming a, a, a more viable NBA player, in my opinion. Um, but again, I just want to say I'm not a draft aficionado, so don't take my word completely. Um, there are a lot of guys that I think are going to be good, but that, those are just got the guys right off the top of my head. So another question from Billy Osborne. Who is the one player you would actively seek during this offseason? It can be an NBA player or a player through the draft. Try to keep it realistic with free agency if possible. Love all your stuff. I listen every time. Thank you, Billy. I appreciate that. I always enjoy uh, when you hit me up on Twitter and we talk for a little bit. Um, it's a good question. So somebody who I think is realistic, well, during the draft at 54, um, I'm working on draft profiles right now, so I don't want to go too far into that, but there are some some bigger wing forward players who I really like that that have potential. I think there's a lot of guys at the bottom of the draft that I think could really be useful impact players on the Pacers. Um, so I'm interested to see where they go. Um, 
With free agency, I really like the idea of adding Mo Harkless. So I know you look at him. He's not a great shooter, but he's a very good defender. Um, and I think he would really just impact the versatility of the roster. And that's something that this team needs. I think the my ideal way that this team builds is they end up having, and this is you know a pipe dream, but they have four or five um, wings who can be in the eight-man rotation that are all not going to get you killed on defense. They know their role on offense. And they're going to uh, just kind of be not ir- irreplaceable is the wrong way to put it. Like I, they should not interchangeable. You can't interchange TJ Warren for Mo Harkless. But like you get my point. If you have Mo Harkless out there, you, you know you're not going to kill on defense. He brings really good things. He can screen a little bit. He's got decent touch on the inside. Um, I just like him. He's a veteran guy. He's been on good teams. I've never heard anything bad about him. Uh, the only thing I do think is that he's probably going to get a bigger contract than the MLE. I think that's possible. I've seen stuff about the Hawks potentially, you know, offering him a, a one-year, like, $15 million deal, which the Pacers cannot beat. I think it's just going to depend on what kind of team he wants to be on. And um, But, I mean, granted, I do think he would be a really good fit for the Pacers. So that's someone I definitely look at. Thank you for the question. Um, last question before we get into trades. From the Indiana Pizza Club, I got the great pleasure of being followed by them. I did not know they were a thing. What's your favorite pizza place in Indiana? So I'll be honest, I have not eaten pizza in Indiana before, but my favorite pizza place in general, the best pizza I have ever had is from this place called Angela's Pizza in Lakewood, Ohio. If you have, uh, if you ever go to, to to Cleveland area, Lakewood's like 10 minutes, 15 minutes west of, of Cleveland probably, and about 15 minutes from where I grew up. Go to Angelo's Pizza. It's going to be packed. You're going to wait an hour and a half for a pizza, but it is worth it for at least one time. It is so good. Best crust I've ever had. They use really good ingredients. All the people there are really nice. Got a really good bar too. Obviously, I would wait until the coronavirus has kind of uh, subsided uh, and uh, not something we have to worry about before you go out and, and go to a bar, but that's just me. Um, well, it's not just me. I think that's you know it's pretty clear that that's what we should be doing. Uh, wear your mask, be smart, be safe. Um, but Angelo's Pizza, 100%. It's it, it, no question for me. Best pizza I've ever had. And if you're ever in Columbus, Ohio, I used to work. I was a bartender at Mikey's Late Night Slice. It's a really awesome late night drink joint with uh, with some phenomenal pizza. Uh, so I definitely would check that out as well. Um, they're open till 4 a.m. serving pizza. I have spent many late nights and early mornings uh, closing down a, a bar to a very packed house. So if you're ever in Columbus, Ohio, check them out. And they also have a Cincinnati location. So now we're going to dive into our trade proposals. So first one from Yuba Baya, uh, it's a Pacers-Dallas Mavericks trade. So Old Depot McDermott leaving the Pacers for Tim Hardaway Jr., DeLon Wright, Dorian Finney-Smith, and a Golden State second rounder, which would be pick 31. Um I can kind of see where you're coming from on this. You end up getting a couple of really solid rotation players. I mean, I think Hardaway Jr. and Finney Smith can start. Finney Smith, I really like, uh, except his shot really struggled in the playoffs. Um, so he was kind of like Thad a little bit. And he can be a floor spacer in the regular season. But when he gets honed in on the, in the playoffs and forced into being a shooter, um, I'm not sure how that would work. Um, but I do like him a lot. Um, I like all three of those guys. Um and I like the idea of a second rounder, but I think you look at it in terms of if that's what you're getting back for Vic, um, you know, where is the rest of your production coming from at a high end level? Because I think you look at this team, you have to have another guy who is a, uh, you know, a top three guy in the rotation, let's say, you know, alongside Brogdon 
uh, Warren and, and Sabonis. You need another guy who can be a high-end scorer or do a high-end playmaker. And no, none of those three guys are. And you're not getting a guy at pick 31 who is. So I think I would say personally no, unless, you know, maybe if Miles is involved in a trade that brings you like um, a really high-level playmaker. Like maybe he's traded w- along with someone else for Gordon Hayward or something like that. You know, you, you get what I'm coming f- where I'm coming from. And I don't know if that even works out salary-wise. I don't know if you put it in. Um, I, I don't have the trade thing up right in front of me. But I think knowing their salaries, like Hardaway Jr. is making like 19 mil right now. DeLon Wright's on like six or seven because he got the MLE. And Dorian Finney-Smith's on a pretty small deal. So I think that works out. But uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be super opposed to that, but it just depends on what is along with it. Here is another trade proposal from Ubabaya between the Pacers and Magic. Oladipo, McConnell, and two seconds for Aminu, Terrence Ross, and a first. I'm just going to say no right off the bat. I don't think that makes sense for the Pacers. Um, it makes sense for the Magic a little bit. Uh, Al Farouk Aminu was injured most of the year. He, his signing didn't make sense for them anyways um, because they have so many forwards. Terrence Ross is fine, but he's not a guy who I'd be super comfortable starting. He's not a quality defender for the most part. He can defend, but he's not great at doing it consistently. He's a pretty inconsistent offensive player. Um, and their first round pick's not going to be super high. I mean, it'll be it'll be outside the lottery because they're in the playoffs. I would say no for this one. I just don't think you're getting enough back. Um, and yeah, you're not like I if Terrence Ross is slotting in to replace Victor Oladipo, that's problematic. Um, I, I just don't think that that's that's good enough. But um, I do see where you're coming from there. Um, so another trade idea from SpongeBob Karate Chops. Uh, trade thought that we should work on if we keep Turner, depending on what else you plan roster wise. So here's the trades. Bonus, uh, traded to the Bulls for Thad Young and a first round pick. Um, so the Pacers would gain some cap space, uh, for a free agent this offseason. Idea here, Thad, good guy, defender of big wings, jacking more threes, volume at decent rate, older, but always looks in super good shape, play a power forward that could play some small ball center. Plus picks of the roster gets younger and older in one move or use the pick in another trade. Also assume getting Goga some more minutes. Um, I'm sorry, man, but if the Pacers do this trade, Kevin Pritchard is out. Um, and Kevin Pritchard would not do this trade. I love Thad. I like first round picks. Demonis Sabonis is worth way more than that. And I know I'm the one who came out and said the Sabonis for OG thing. I've already made my apology on that. I was way too obsessed with the idea of just having spacing and fit and not really thinking about all the great things that Sabonis does. I mean, I think he is the building block for this team moving forward. Him and TJ Warren, to me, are the two guys on this team that are, you know, as close to untradeable as you get. I mean, obviously, if you get like some godfather deal, which is not going to happen for either of them, I don't think. Um then you take it. But I think those guys are too good at what they do to look at moving them. I would love to have Thad um, even at his money. I would love Thad on this roster. I think he makes sense as uh, a backup and as a guy who can play high level minutes still. Um, but I just don't think that there's a way to do it, especially not trading Sabonis. I don't I don't think there's any way that that happens. I get where you're coming from. The team needs a power forward um, who can shoot threes, play defense on big wings and uh, maybe play some small ball center. But I, I don't – going for, going in that direction is not what I would go for. So uh, SpongeBob Karate Chops, I'm going to say no on that. Um, another one from Yubabaya. This one I really like. Uh, so this is 
He put Pacers Pelicans trade one year rent for both sides. Oladipo and McDermott straight up for JJ Redick and Lonzo Ball. I love this trade. I really like Lonzo Ball. Um, I really like JJ Redick. I remember the Pacers tried to to get JJ Redick a few years ago. Um, I really like the idea of Lonzo Ball on this team as you know him starting next to Malcolm Brogdon. Um, a guy who doesn't really need the ball in his hands, but he is a great playmaker, like a legitimately great playmaker. He's not awesome as like a half court distributor yet, but I think there's that's working on that's something he's going to work on in his game. Obviously, he needs to improve as a finisher. Um, but I mean, Sabonis would be the best role threat he's ever had. Um, he's an improved shooter. I really like the idea of him being able to get Malcolm good looks off ball. Um, I love it. I don't know if the Pelicans do that, though. I don't know what's there for them to to, to like. I mean, McDermott's nice for them uh, as, a, as a role player. Maybe Oladipo works out for them and he's healthy, but I don't know how he fits in their backcourt with Drew Holiday. Um, I mean, maybe that could be a nice pairing, but I just I think there's maybe if we attach the uh, I mean, we uh, maybe if the Pacers attached like a pick or two, like two seconds or, or like a first a couple years out from now. To make this work, I, I could see it, but I really like the idea of getting Lonzo and uh, signing him long term. And I like JJ Redick a lot too. I think he would be great with with Domas. You saw how good of a two man game he had with Joel Embiid, so I like the idea of him with Domas. I love that trade. I just don't think that the Pelicans would do it. Um, but if the Pacers can make that happen, I would love that. Here is another one: uh, a trade proposal between the Pacers and Timberwolves. So it's James Johnson, Jarrett Culver, Josh Okogie. And Brooklyn's 2021st for Old Depot, McConnell, and the next two seconds that the Pacers have. Um, hmm. I say no on this. Like, Culver's got a lot of upside and potential. Okogie's a really nice player. James Johnson is a serv- serviceable rotation guy who can spot start. And I like first round picks. Um, but I think I just say no because of where the direction of the team's at. I mean, I've mentioned this before. Warren and, and Brogdon are both late 20s. Sabonis, obviously, early 20s. But for the most part, you're, the core of this group, I think I look at Jared Culver. Um, Jared Culver is still a, a good, decent amount away from being a contributing player on a, rot- a contributing rotation level player on a high end team. Um, so I think there's still a definite path for Jared Culver to be a high end starter. I don't know if the shot will ever be there. Because I mentioned the free throw shooting. He is an abysmal free throw shooter. He shot like 44% from the free throw line this year, I think. Um, I really like Josh Okogie. Josh um, so that's, you know, enticing. I think I would think heavily about this deal, but probably ultimately say no. I guess it depends what the other deals are. But I like Culver's long-term potential. I just don't know what he uh, what he does with the current roster. So another trade proposal from you, Babai. You have been active in the trade machine, my guy. Um, between the Pacers and Knicks. So you get Reggie Bullock, Bobby Portis, Frank Nilakina, Kevin Knox, and the Clippers 2021st for Old Depot and McDermott. That is a very hard no from me. Um, Reggie Bullock is fine, expiring, I believe. Bobby Portis is fine, expiring. Um, both would be like fine backups. Frank Nilakina, I like. Um, I think I'm interested to see what he does in a different organization where he gets more consistent minutes, but I just don't know if I want that to be the Pacers. Kevin Knox, I'm out on as an NBA player. He's not a good defender. Um, he's not a good shooter anymore. Like he, maybe his shooting can come around, but I think 
he's just not a good enough player to warrant getting minutes on a playoff team like the Pacers. And maybe they take a step back from being a playoff team, but I think they're still, they'd still be good enough with that team to be like a seven or eighth seed. Um, maybe the first round pick. I mean, that's going to end up being like what, like pick 24, 25, something like that. Um, I don't think that's a good enough package for Victor Oladipo. Maybe, you know, if it's RJ Barrett and the Knicks pick. I would think more heavily about it because R.J. Barrett's got a lot more upside than a guy like Knox or, or Neil Aquino or what that first-round pick will be. But And then you get the eighth pick in the draft, and that would be enticing as well. Um, I just don't think that's a good enough package. So I think out of everything, I really like the Pacers-Pelican trade. I think there needs to be more there for the Pacers to make that work. Um, and I still don't know if the Pelicans would do it. But if they can make that work, by God, make it work because I think that's really good. Uh, so now we are getting to our last trade idea. From at Hoops Nate, my co-host and good friend on uh, Premium Hoops and in life, good friend. <laughs> I got I, that came off so awkward. Um, what would you need in return from Boston to trade Miles Turner there? So Boston is a notorious Miles uh, Miles Turner destination, and Nate is a notorious uh, Boston fan. So, um, in terms of Miles Turner to Boston, what would you need in return? It's a good question. Um, if you're trading Miles Turner, you need a high-level wing back, or maybe not even high-level, but you need a wing back who can develop, um, or is you know competent. Uh, more than that, I mean, maybe you get a pick. I don't know. I think I don't know if Boston is ever going to be willing to trade Marcus Smart, but I think if you could trade Marcus Smart for Miles Turner, the money is pretty close. You'd need maybe one more guy in there, um, like some match salaries, but that's something I think the Pacers would look at. Because Marcus Smart is a really solid playmaker. Um, he can shoot now. Obviously, one of the very best defenders in the game. Uh, so I would like that. I mean, I think he contribute right away. Gordon Hayward doesn't make sense with... Well, I mean, it makes sense for the Pacers to trade for a guy like Gordon Hayward. Um, even though I don't think he fits up a whole ton timeline-wise, maybe he would be willing to sign a smaller deal to stay with the Pacers because he's from Brownsburg. Um I don't know. I think it's just a tough fit to make that trade happen because there aren't a lot of matching salaries for both teams. Um, I don't know. And personally, I wouldn't really want to trade Miles to Boston. I'd look to trade him elsewhere, not to be like super caught up in, um, you know, not trading guys in conference. But I've looked at it before. I mean, Boston had, I believe, the number three defense. It was three or five defense in the league this year without having a like Daniel Tice is a good starting center. Um I think Miles makes that defense great. And they were, were already a very good defense this year. You add Miles to that, and they are they have potential to be the best defense in the NBA. Their rebounding would suck um, because, I mean, Tice is a better rebounder than Miles, and he's still not a great rebounder. Um, so I, I, I do wonder what their re- defensive rebounding would look like. But I think in terms of having someone that they could, you know, they're, help, they're probably the best help defense in the league other than maybe the Raptors. So you look at a bunch of really good switchable wings who can guard pretty much anyone and adding miles to that and uh, being able to funnel things there without totally killing miles. Like because the Boston perimeter defenders, other than Kemba Walker, they've done a good job of hiding and he's a scrappy guy. He, he works hard to try and not get killed on the perimeter. Um, when you have guys like, I mean, you look at the Pacers this year, like you look at not to sh- you know, shit on Jeremy lamb, but like Jeremy lamb, one of the worst closeout guys in the league. You look at him, you look at um, some of the, sometimes, you know, Malcolm getting killed on the perimeter by smaller players. 
that made a lot of tough, uh, tough covers for Miles at the rim, but he's good enough to do it. A, one of the very best rim protectors in the league. You add him to Boston, I think they're one of the best defensive teams in the league, if not the best defensive team. I don't know how the offense would work out with him. I think Brad Stevens could be good for him, especially since he'd be the only center. Um, but I don't know. I think there's a lot of interesting things there. I'd like to see Miles just get into a good role for him, whether it's with or without the Pacers, because he's a good dude and he works hard. So I think he deserves that. Um, but anyways, that wraps up all the questions and trade proposals that we have for this mailbag pod. Um, a little bit of a longer one. I think we ran close to an hour. Yeah, just over an hour. Um, hopefully I answer them all in depth for you guys. If you, uh, if you like those, I, I, uh, I greatly appreciate all of the questions that you send out. It, it really means a lot to me how much you all interact um, and care about this as much as I do because I love doing this for you guys. So make sure to um, keep asking questions, keep sending them to me, and I will keep doing these mailbag pods. And uh, thank you. Um, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review the Indie Cornrows podcast and on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe anywhere you can get it. And of course, read us over at Indie Cornrows. Uh, you know, obviously follow me on Twitter, follow Tom on Twitter, follow Caitlin on Twitter, um, and just keep interacting with us. Really appreciate it. Uh, be sure to have a good rest of your day and uh, hopefully have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you for listening. And this has been the Indie Cornrows podcast.